Together, let us pray the prayer for illumination. Righteous and merciful Christ, by remaining faithful till death, you show us the road to greater love. Prepare our minds to hear your word and move our hearts to accept what we hear. May your word live within us and protect us always. Amen. A reading from the 137th Psalm, beginning at verse 7. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall. How they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall thy be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God.
gospel lesson from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Listen with me for the word of God. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Today we continue our series on the seven deadly sins. We began two weeks ago with pride. Then last week, Reverend Beth Chrisman, our district superintendent, preached a powerful sermon on envy. Next week... A dear longtime friend of mine, Reverend David Hollis from Tennessee, will be with us to preach, and the theme for that Sunday, sloth. And then the fifth Sunday, greed. And in many ways, that will serve as a summary for the whole series. But today, anger. Anger. In some lists of the seven deadly sins, the word wrath is used. But I think anger is a word that is well within our understanding of life and one that we need to reflect on deeply. After all, in the Bible, we read in the Old Testament about some of the heroes of the faith being angry, like Jacob or Moses. But do you know in the Old Testament who demonstrates anger the most? The Lord. And oftentimes, there is a metaphor used to describe the Lord's anger. Oftentimes, it's described as kindled, kindled against the people for their unfaithful living. But then also in the book of Judges, we read about the Lord's anger being hot. So think about this together, kindled and hot. It's like a fire. A fire that starts out small with a spark, it's kindled, and then it grows. It becomes a hot conflagration. That's how we understand anger in our own lives, isn't it? Whether within ourselves or what we observe in others, it starts out small, but then something causes that anger to be kindled. It gains power, and then it burns hot. When Jesus entered the temple, as we read in John chapter 2, he seemed to be channeling this kind of anger, also about people's unfaithfulness. The story of Jesus cleansing the temple is a really curious one in New Testament studies because the way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story is different. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, They tell 
the story of Jesus cleansing the temple as if it's the beginning of Holy Week. And in that way, it represents the final straw that broke the camel's back for the religious leaders in Rome. It's seen as the big heavy domino that falls at the beginning of Holy Week that eventually leads to Jesus' death on the cross. But according to John the Gospel writer, when this story is understood at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, chapter 2, it's seen as a declaration of purpose. Jesus is coming into his father's house, setting things right, because obviously things have gone so wrong. The temple always seen as the physical dwelling place where God Almighty would come to earth and where people on earth could encounter the holy. Now, people would encounter God's holiness, not in this building, but in Jesus himself. But in order for the people to understand his purpose and power, he needed to make things right in the temple. And so when he entered in on that day, he looked around and he saw that this place that ought to be a house of prayer had become something totally different. And he didn't quietly ask them to just scoot along. According to John, the gospel writer, he made a whip of cords. He drove them out. Those tables, he flipped them up. Money's flying everywhere. You can imagine hearing it jangling all over the ground. What a scene. And the disciples remember this quote from Psalm 69, verse 9, about zeal consuming Jesus. Perhaps, perhaps this is a moment where Jesus' anger is rightly communicated. I've heard some people through the years say that whatever happened in the temple that day was Jesus' one sin. No way. No, that is not a good interpretation of that scene. It's Jesus embodying the fury against people's unfaithful living that we had read about before in the Old Testament now being a declaration of his purpose as he is setting things right. You know, in preparation for today, uh, thinking about anger, thinking back in my own life, about moments that anger got the best of me, trying to come up with what might be an anecdote to share, I got to tell you, the list got really long really quickly. And I wonder if you were to think about moments where anger got the best of you in your life, if embarrassingly the list might be longer than you want to admit. Anger has a way of, when left unchecked, causing great harm, even violence within a person individually, but also within the relationships that person may be a part. Anger left unchecked can cause great damage. In this way, we understand it as one of the seven deadly sins. It can lead to more vices, lead to other issues, problems, brokenness, hurt, and pain. One of the things that makes anger different from the other six it is so unique to you in your story, who you are as a person. What might make one person sad 
makes another person angry. And what might make one person angry might just make another person sad. The things that make you angry, it's relative to your story, the way you were brought up, your family of origin, the adults that were around you as a child who either set great examples on how to manage anger or who didn't. Socioeconomic status, education, access to opportunities, definitive life experiences, all of these things have contributed to who you are and how you respond when anger begins to percolate inside of you. We have oftentimes triggers that set us off. And I'm very particular to use that word, triggers. If you heard me in a sermon a few weeks ago, I mentioned the importance of watching our language that oftentimes has a violent or harmful tone. And maybe we need to be more careful about removing those words from our everyday language and replacing them with other words that carry the same meaning but don't have such a violent overtone. A trigger is used in such a way that causes harm, damage, violence, maybe even death. And that's what happens when these triggers are activated within us that bring about anger. The triggers can oftentimes be categorized in one of four main areas. One, when you suffer the loss of a loved one. Kubler-Ross's seven uh, stages of grief help us to understand that anger is very much a part of what we experience when we lose somebody that we love. We don't sit in anger forever as we mourn the loss of a loved one, but it's undeniably a part of what we experience. So, one trigger could be the loss of a loved one. Another trigger could be personal angst. Something inside of you. It starts off as an annoyance, a frustration, but it's kindled, and then it starts to burn hot. Another trigger, a third category, could be a situation that is beyond you, not within you, but something beyond you that affects you. A fourth trigger could be when you observe that there's something not right in the world. And part of the role of the Christian church is to be a prophetic voice to speak up when things aren't right, when things do not line up with God's vision for creation, to speak a word against injustice, to speak up on behalf of those who were hurt, forgotten, marginalized. We're right to be angry when things aren't the way they should be. And I think that was the case for Jesus in the temple that day. So here's my humble invitation to you. What would it look like to observe a time in your life that you got angry? Could you just make a couple notes? What happened? Who else was around? What were the circumstances? And then could you just note what caused 
that anger in the sense of, what were you afraid of? Were you afraid of losing something? Were you afraid of something not happening? A possibility slipping away? What was it? And then, when you can identify this, ask a, a very simple but very hard question. Why? And when you think you know the answer to that one, ask another question. Why? And then when you get to a better sense of clarity, ask a third time. Why? If you can get under the layers of your anger, you could better understand yourself. And you could better monitor yourself the next time that Kindle starts to be noticed. Something that I've observed, and I wonder if you have too, it's the way that anger plays out in our society lately. It seems that lately, anger is applauded, even celebrated. And some people want to rally around points of anger, what Chris Rock calls selective outrage. I wonder about the times that leaders try to promote themselves or an agenda rallying others around anger. And the notion is, I'm angry, and if you're angry like me, then we can be together in our anger. I want to suggest to you that's not God's vision for how we are to build up our own lives as individuals. That's not how we are to build up our families. Not how we are to build up the church. Not how we can build up a society. God's vision is not that we rally around anger, but that we rally around love. Love. Love for our neighbor, even love for our enemy. The Apostle Paul wrote on anger just a little bit, but very powerfully with great spiritual wisdom. Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be angry, but don't sin. I think in just a few very powerful words, he says, hey, we're all going to have something inside of us. But it's how you respond. It's what you say, what you do, how you act. And then he goes on to say, something that I've heard spouses remind each other of. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, if there's something inside of you that needs to be managed, needs to be handled, talked about, worked through, do it. Do it before you go to bed. Because otherwise, what starts off as just a little kindling fire can start to burn white hot. And it can overwhelm you can cause such damage, pain, suffering for you and for others. I believe that a life of Christian discipleship offers us everything that we need in order to manage our anger. A life of faithfulness that includes reading the scriptures, a life of prayer, service, fellowship with fellow believers, all of these resources provide for us what we need. Coming up in our worship service, we're going to sing a hymn tune 
to different parts of the liturgy, including the responses in the Great Thanksgiving for Communion. And the hymn tune is called Land of Rest. Land of Rest. It's originally based on an Appalachian tune to a poem, Land of Rest, I Sigh for Thee. It's a vision of what life could be like here together, and we in the church are called to bear witness to this as a foretaste of that heavenly kingdom in eternal glory, land of rest, I sigh for thee. We long to live in a place of peaceable living with each other, where we are at peace ourselves. We can anticipate God, through the grace of Jesus Christ, welcoming us into that heavenly kingdom. And we are called to enact that now. A land of rest. And we can welcome other people into this land of rest. Instead of instigating anger and inserting that, what would it be like if we instead welcomed people into a land of rest? The good news of the gospel is that anger that the Lord justifiably had against us because of our unfaithful and sinful ways, by the mercy of God, does not have the final story. Instead, the story continues in our Lord Jesus, who set things straight so that we can live in right relationship with God and with one another. May the peace of Christ continue to reign in your heart, in your family, in our church, our community, our country, and our world, that we may dwell together in a land of rest and peace. Amen.